Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, welcome, brothers and sisters. This is Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. I'm with a, a very special guest, my dear sister, Kristen, Christine Haroff. Um, this is not our first rodeo. Uh, we, we had attempted uh, to do a previous interview and uh, the technical difficulties overtook us <laughs> and took us out. And uh, But we are Christians, we persevere, we overcome, and at first you don't succeed, you try, try again. So anyway, praise be to God, I, I got my uh, dear sister with me, and um, we are, are going to have uh, an episode where we're going to discuss... Uh, her ministry and website, and it's called Not a Victim, Not a Victim. It was hashtag Not a Victim. So before we begin, uh, I'd just like to uh, allow Christine just to give us a little bit of background on her life and her family, uh, her Christian testimony, and then we're going to start digging into uh, this ministry, this very viable ministry, much needed ministry called Not a Victim. And so, Miss Christine, welcome to our podcast once again. And we're so grateful that you uh, left the, uh, the garden <laughs> uh, and came out of the <laughs> the outside came inside, did your Superman routine, and and here you are with us. Welcome, sweetie. Bless you. Hey, thanks for having me again for take two here. Um, so you wanted me to go ahead and dive into my testimony a bit? Yeah, a little bit of your background, your, your Christian testimony, your family, uh, just so people kind of know you on a personal level before we start getting into the well, I was uh, brought up in a Christian home like uh, so many others. And, uh, you know, we were in church every time the church doors were open just about. I went to a Christian school um, from kindergarten through 12th grade, Christian university. But there came a time in my life where I realized that I had been trusting sort of in the words of repeating what is commonly known as the sinner's prayer. And I. I was in a habit of almost superstitiously repeating that prayer, um, thinking that the words alone would sort of magically save me. I also was an aisle walker. I was always walking the aisle to be saved. And, and what I was forgetting is the words of the scriptures to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to repent to turn away from my wicked sin, to acknowledge it, to confess it uh, to the Lord, and then being brought from an old creation to a new creation in him. And so that was something that I kind of got caught up in as a child in a Christian home and in a Christian environment. 
um, sort of trusting in these man-made ways of being saved instead of trusting in the words of the scriptures, repenting and believing in him. So we fast forward a little bit um, into my life, and I met my husband at Dallas Baptist University many moons ago, 20-something years ago. i got to think how many years it's been. And um, from there, we've had eight children. And it was about 15 years ago that we were reading a blog post by R.C. Sproul Jr. at the time, who was encouraging us to go as families to our local killing place and to learn to speak up for our tiniest of neighbors in distress. So it was at that time that I remember trying to find any Christian ministry, any Protestant ministry at all, that was going to our largest killing place, uh, which was about 25 minutes from us, from where we lived. And we would pass by this Planned Parenthood, a seven-story monstrosity of a building as we were driving to and from church in our, you know, our Sunday finery, carrying our Bibles in our hands. And we were never stopping to love our neighbors in distress. And as I kept trying to find out where were the Christians who were doing this, I got crickets. There was nobody actually stopping to minister with the gospel of Jesus to these women outside of that particular Planned Parenthood. And I think it was the words of R.C. Sproul, uh, junior and senior at the time, Patty Smith, who many of we know, who said, you know, many times we're guilty of being no better than the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan. And I mean, for us, we were literally driving by our neighbors in distress, you know, dressed in our church clothes with our Bibles in hand and never taking time to stop and love our neighbors as distress, uh, in distress. And, and the Lord convicted our hearts about that. And we went out that first time to that Planned Parenthood and we thought, you know, we're so busy. We can only spare two hours for the unborn. And at that two hour mark, we tried to go and another car drove in and another car behind that one and another car. And we realized it's very hard to stop this ministry when you're the only ones out there reaching out to these mothers and trying to save these babies. And so we wound up staying there, I think four hours that day and we returned the next Saturday. And my husband decided at that point that our family would go once a week to go and speak up for these babies and plead with the mothers to show mercy to their children. And it has been a wild ride ever since then, uh, these past 15 years of uh, this ministry, this ministry that is often um, very challenging, very vile, very demonic, as you know, your own family has experienced. It's tough, tough battleground out there. Absolutely, Miss Christine. And so you, you basically spent um, 15 years as a family doing this uh, much-needed ministry, um, literally at the gates of hell, where child sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood, is being committed. Uh, that's defiling and polluting our land and invoking you know, God's just judgment upon us, and we see that manifest in so many different ways. And I know, Christine, uh, as you did that on the streets, um, there was a lot of opportunities for you, even through social media. And one of the ways I, I got to know you and your family and your ministry is some of the dialogue uh, that you had 
uh, with abortion-minded women and your exchanges and your attempts to minister to them the gospel of the kingdom. Can you, can you share a little bit about um, that aspect of the ministry and that, what that was like uh, dealing with abortion-minded women? Sure. You, you know, we, yeah, we started off at the clinic and we would go faithfully every week. My husband would go wake up the children and we would sing Onward Christian Soldiers as we woke up the kids in the morning and then we hit the van and we would pray together going around uh, the van on our way to Planned Parenthood and then later Houston Women's Clinic, each child taking a turn to pray. And we would uh, do that faithfully every week. And then we had a little bit of a job change and a move that took us a little bit further away. And so our ministry shifted a little bit to going to the clinic, but not as uh, not on a weekly basis. But we also started up some a campus ministry, and then I was invited to the online ministry um, by a friend who was actually invited by an escort. The clinic escort thought that she would be converted over to the pro-choice position if she just heard these mothers and what they're posting in these groups. So what a pre-abort support group is, sometimes people don't know what we're talking about. It's these groups on Facebook, um, Reddit, and just really all over. Google's had some groups. Yahoo has had some pre-abort groups. They're, they're everywhere. Where the mothers go to post before their abortion, and they ask questions about their abortion. It might be, should I tell my boyfriend I'm pregnant if I just plan to abort it? That would be a common question that they would post. Or... Um, the struggle that the mothers have between using the pills or getting a surgical vacuum abortion. That's another uh, thing that they might post about. When a mother is about to abort her baby, it usually comes with a lot of boyfriend drama and a lot of family drama. Everyone has an opinion as to what she's supposed to do. And so what we do is we reach out privately via PM after the mother posts publicly about her situation and her upcoming abortion. And usually nine times out of 10, these are mothers with scheduled abortions. And so one thing that we found was at the clinic, it can be pretty hard to reach the mothers. You know, you're, you're, you're mainly talking one way to them as they get out of their car door and they walk up to the front of the building or as the front door swings open. In the pre-abort support groups though, you might have a day before their abortion to be reaching out to them, or you might have a week or two or three or four And often we were able to get into these very lengthy heart-to-heart conversations with these women. And so what I began to learn as I was hearing their hearts more than I ever heard even out at the clinic was how much of a sin issue this was. So we had, you know, a woman, uh, girls, pastor's daughters uh, who posted at times and they were killing the baby because they said their dad would lose his office as an elder in the church if, if they were shown to be pregnant outside of wedlock. We had mothers caught in games of literal uh, adultery, wife uh, and husband uh, swapping and uh, pregnant via that uh, adulterous relationship like that. One of the worst situations we had, and I told you this you know, in our take one episode last time, was a mother who posted in the pre-abort support groups And she wanted to know if she could do a selective reduction of her triplets. She said her and her boyfriend only wanted one baby and it was discovered she had three. She had these beautiful, healthy triplets and she did not want them. And so she posted asking if it was possible for her to abort only one or two and if it would emotionally affect the surviving triplet. 
And so we were able to reach out to her and um, she was vile. She wanted uh, nothing to do with choosing life. She was going by the handle on Reddit, trash the triplets. And she was so vile and so hard hearted that she um, wouldn't really respond to me except for with cursing and name calling. So I asked her to put her boyfriend on the night before the abortion and I was able to speak with him and the boyfriend chose life. And I told him, wash your hands of this whole thing. Have nothing to do with it. Don't give her a dollar toward gas money. Don't uh, don't drive with her there. Tell her you will do nothing to support her in the killing of these children, but you will do everything to provide for them and to provide for her. And so he chose life, but unfortunately the law says it's the mother's choice. And in the end, she chose uh, death for those children at 6.30 a.m. And then the boyfriend turned around and shot himself. So in that instance, we had one abortion and we had four dead people after that abortion. And she later, um, the Lord brought her to conviction of her sin. And she went into pastoral counseling with my own pastor at my church. That was one of the worst stories we had coming out of the pre-abort groups. You just cannot imagine the drama and the things that we hear in there. Um, one of the things that we're getting nowadays that we didn't have, you know, 10 years ago in these groups is we're now ministering to pregnant men, men who are posting because they're biological females trying to present as a man and the pregnancy is outing them as a woman. So just the craziest things in these pre-abort support groups, but it's been a really good avenue to counseling these women with the word of God, with the Holy scriptures and with the gospel who can change their, their wicked, wicked hearts. Amen. Wow. Christine, that's, that's incredible. Um, I, I know that um, as we have kind of moved forward in our attempt to not just regulate baby murder, like the pro life movement, but to actually end it, uh, through the abolition of abortion. Um, you and I have been a part of that movement uh, for quite some time. And um, in our attempts to kind of, you know, spread that vision and mission, uh, you know, we've slowly but surely, we've gained some territory. Uh, we've seen some breakthroughs along those lines. Uh, but one of the things, one of the major obstacles that we, we came across was uh, the pro-life movement and their second victim narrative that they pushed and, um, and they continue to push. And so we had that time in Texas where for the first time in the history of the abolitionist movement, we got a hearing for an abolitionist bill. And that uh, hearing committee was chaired by Jeff Leach. And um, if you remember, Christine, we all went to the Capitol. We were there for like early evening to like early morning the next day. And it was really more like a revival than than a hearing committing committee meeting. Um, the name of the Lord was so lifted up. Uh, his word went forth in such power. Incredible testimonies uh, throughout the evening. But uh, 
The bad news was that Jeff Leach, even though he allowed the bill to be heard at that uh, committee meeting, um, he crushed any attempt to abolish abortion in the state of Texas based upon the second victim narrative by the pro-life movement, uh, that he would never treat a woman who consciously, purposely, deliberately hires an assassin to murder her baby. He, 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 him and many in the pro-life movement do not consider that a criminal act that a woman should be held accountable for. And so I remember leaving that hearing and going, you know what? We, we need to come up with some website, some kind of teaching, uh, you know, viable ministry where we could expose the lie of the second victimhood status that the pro-life movement has promoted for many, many years. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Christine, I kind of posted that as a possible vision and mission, and you you responded. I believe you, you posted something on that thread, and as soon as you posted it, I just thought, that's the lady. If anybody who has an experience or understands, you know, the mindset of abortion-minded women, it is Christine. And so, Christine, you and I, we, we talked, we shared the vision and mission, and lo and behold, not a victim ministry uh, came uh, from that conversation. So can you explain a little bit, uh, Christine, uh, the not a victim website and, and how the Lord is using this um, to sort of um, expose I guess two main issues, you know, abortion is murder, which the pro-life movement does not want to admit, and the pro-life movement expanding the victimhood status, mainly to the mother, but sometimes in extreme cases, even as, even the abortionists themselves. So please share uh, the website with us, Christine. Sure. Well, yeah, the website is notavictim.org. And as Rusty was saying, we were, you know, those of us super engaged in this battle, we're watching bill after bill after bill after bill, not just in our own state of Texas, but in, in numerous states, session after session, being tossed out, being killed by pro-life Christian Republican legislators who would tell you, oh, I believe abortion is murder, but they wouldn't treat it as murder. They wouldn't abolish abortion in their state because to abolish abortion means we have to enforce the law, they'll tell you. And to enforce the law means that we have to punish those who would choose to violate it going forward. We're not talking about going backwards as many people sometimes uh, think. We're not talking about rounding up all post-abortive women and giving them the death penalty. That is a myth. But we're talking about going forward and enforcing the law. And these pro-life legislators were saying we couldn't do that because that would mean to, that we would have to punish a woman 
who would willingly and knowingly choose to violate the law once abortion is abolished. Thus, they reasoned, we couldn't abolish abortion. So they tossed our bill. And instead, they gave us bills that tell us as women how, when, and where we may kill our children, who we may hire to help, and what age our baby victims should be at the time of the assault. And I would tell them, and Rusty would tell them, you know, that is immoral legislation. God's word says you shall not murder. And it's the perfect foundation for, you know, our modern legislation on this issue. And so, but instead they would give us bills that just simply regulated abortion as healthcare. And so Rusty came up with this idea, you know, they seem to think that these mothers are all innocent victims. And, you know, this innocent victim idea, this whole victimhood culture that we're in these days has groups like, uh, I I saw one a couple of years ago from Students for Life. And it said um, uh, that the abortion victims are not just they first listed the mother. Mother is always number one, you know, in these posts. And not just the baby, but they said the abortionist and even members of society. And I thought what they're suggesting in that post is so crazy that they're suggesting that I'm the victim of the abortion, you know, that's going to occur tomorrow down the street from me. And so we would argue uh, from the word of God and from just good, solid reason and logic that the only victim in the typical everyday normal abortion scenario is the baby left dead and dismembered behind, beaten and bruised. That is the victim of the abortion. That little boy or girl made in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made a gift from God and yet violently assaulted to death in that in that building or poisoned to death even at home. Uh, and so we're realizing how important it is to clear up the myth of the innocent victimhood of the normal aborting mother. You know, people all say, well, they're all forced into it. Don't you know they're all forced into it? Well, I don't know about you, Rusty, but in 15 years of ministry, I've never really dealt with any mother who was truly forced into it. We've had one or two where the parents were highly pressuring a, a teenager into that abortion. But we've never had any out out at the clinic that were being dragged in against their will. The typical mother in the typical everyday normal abortion scenario is, you know, driving there of her own free will, walking in on her own two feet, refusing to call 911 for a forced abortion, which is illegal in this country, refusing the help of sidewalk counselors, calling out to her, offering her help and hope and monetary, you know, financial support. She signs the dotted line, giving informed consent to getting treated, to killing her baby. She pays her blood money, which is usually hundreds or thousands of dollars, depending on the age of the baby. She climbs on the on the table and, and positions her body so as to assist with the abortion. And she willingly swallows the pills. That is what is going on in the typical everyday normal abortion scenario. This idea that they're all being forced into it is is a flat out myth. It's a lie from the devil. Abortion is a sin issue. It's a violation of God's sixth command. We shall not murder. And we've got to start treating it that way, because when we recognize it as a sin issue, you know, there's two things that the Bible gives us to help that sin issue. Romans 13, godly legislation that will restrain the sin of the mothers against their children. 
And number two, the gospel of Jesus. And we don't say this because we we hate these women. To the contrary, we love these women. We love aborting women enough to tell them the truth in Jesus, to offer them help and hope, and to seek legislation that will stop them from doing this to their children so that they can be good mommies and, and daddies and and love those babies as they are commanded to do in the scriptures. Amen. And this is such a critical point, uh, Christine. Because unfortunately, the way the pro-life movement has framed this issue, um, again, you know, we we had the documentaries, you know, Babies Are Murdered Here, you know, one, and then we had the sequel, Babies Are Still Murdered Here. And one of the interesting things that came out as pro-lifers were being interviewed, it was very difficult for them to say the word murder. Um, it, it just kind of got stuck, like in their throat, um, and so here he, here is the struggle from you know uh, a Christian perspective. You know, we 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 as Christians that are biblically informed, we we don't just believe that abortion is a sin to be repented of but it is also a crime that needs to be penalized by law. And so when you have the pro-life movement pushing this narrative that even removes uh, the, the sin of abortion where you're violating thou shall not murder um, and then refusing uh, to penalize it by law so that justice can come to pass on the behalf of the pre-born where they're welcome into life and protected by law. This is where they don't understand the damage that it does to women's souls. Because if they're just victims, there is no sin that needs to be repented of, and there's certainly no crime where they need to be penalized by. And so... The pro-life movement is not only um, failing in the sense of ending this Holocaust, but in their narrative of second victim and uh, refusing to admit that abortion is murder, this not only enables women on a destructive path, but then there's no chance for them to experience repentance, the acknowledgement of the truth, whereby their souls may be saved, and they could be forgiven and cleansed of the crime and sin of murder. What has been your experience in that, Christine, especially as you've been you know, working now um, diligently through the Not A Victim website, what has been your experience along those lines? You know, we, we've posted on the Not a Victim uh, social media pages before. We've posted exactly what you're saying. We've said, if you're going to offer forgiveness in Christ Jesus to post-abortive women, there must be something for which they need to be forgiven. And 
people get it. You know, when we when we phrase it like that, they're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we need to think more clearly about this. Maybe it's not just a legislation, you know, issue. It's also a gospel issue. So people have, um, when we've kind of addressed it as you're doing now in the podcast, and as we've done on social media, we've had a number of people that have um, sort of got it at that point. Good Bible-believing Christians who just weren't thinking clearly on this issue. Um, I wanted to chime in, though, Rusty, before I forget about this, this is a very important little bunny trail question, I guess, that we often get in this conversation. People sometimes challenge us with the question, they say, but aren't there ever any true mother victims? And we want to we want to just stop right now and say, yes, we do recognize that there are some true mother victims. And I want to give an example during one child policy in China. There were mothers who loved their babies and were doing everything that they could to protect their little boys and girls in utero, but they had armed guards from the Chinese government come kick their door down and come and violently assault them. Now, these women were kicking and screaming and running into the mountains, doing everything they could to protect that child, and their babies were forced aborted against their will. That is a true mother victim, and that is the complete and total opposite of what we see in the normal, you know, everyday abortion scenario. And so we do recognize, you know, some people bring up, well, what about the 11-year-old locked in a basement by traffickers? And, and we say, by all means, that could be a true mother victim there. But we also don't know if any 11-year-olds locked in the basement, you know, currently. So it's not the typical norm, and we don't need to use those sort of um, extreme exceptions to sort of justify the hundreds of thousands of babies being put to death on U.S. soil, you know, every year. That's wrong. We're not thinking biblically like that when we uh, sort of lump them all together as if they're all innocent. Well, if I can, Christine, I, I just like want to just uh, jump in there just for a moment. Um, you know, I've spent about 40 years of my life, you know, at hundreds of death camps uh, throughout the United States of America city after city, state after state, and I could probably count on my one hand that I would consider a true mother victim where I saw, you know, women, girls, literally dragged in, like dragged in. And um, and every time that I saw that, mm-hmm. I, I, I was moved to action. I just wasn't on the sidewalk preaching the gospel. You know, I went on the property. I called the police. You know, I intervened uh, to try to save that girl and the child. Um, and so, yeah, we don't want to, you know, sort of flippantly dismiss that there might be some mother victims but you and I both know by experience, by being at these death camps, it is extremely rare. And most of the time when you're reaching out to these women presenting the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the charitable help they need to make a right choice that leads to life and not death, most of the time they are very vile they're very blasphemous, uh, and they say the most demonic things, you know, such like, um, 
I love the taste of babies. You know, I can't wait to devour my child. In fact, when I'm done having this abortion, we're going to go out and we're going to party, get pregnant again so I can do this again. Um, and I know for most people that sounds, you know, a little weird, a little fantastic. But if any person has spent any time at a typical death camp where they perform abortions and you reach out to these women, yeah, a lot of them won't say anything. They'll just walk by in silence. But some of them, actually a lot of them, will get up in your face and they will curse you. They are vulgar. They are profane. They are vile. And they are blasphemous. And... Um, so, again, it is important, I guess, Christine, that we do understand there may be some true mother victims, but again, the majority, they are not. And so, if you can, Christine, can you tell us a little bit how um, Not a Victim website, how God has been using that, and what is some of the fruit that has come from your efforts there? Yeah, well, you know, uh, when we started this website, one of the things that we were attempting to do was to address this Grand Canyon sized uh, difference of understanding between what the pro-life movement was teaching about the mothers and what was actually going on with the mothers. Um, you couldn't have a more polar opposite you know, understanding of things. The pro-life movement was teaching, you know, that they're all innocent victims, that they're all being tricked into it by Planned Parenthood. They're all being forced into it. Meanwhile, those of us outside of the clinic and in the pre-abort support groups are regularly and consistently dealing with women, you know, holding up V for victory, you know, fingers up in the air, mock stabbing their bellies, middle fingers galore, F-bombs, dancing in the parking lot, and on and on and on. Uh, we've had women put on um, ballet tutus and dance around the parking lot. Another one cackled like a witch as she would run all about the, the parking lot. It's like they enter a sort of demonic rage when they're getting ready to, you know, pull that knife down on their child and um, their mouth acts accordingly. Their mouth is full of bitterness and cursing. And, you know, it occurs no matter the personality of those reaching out to the mothers. We've had women who are very, very sweet and, and gentle spirited reaching out to these women, offering them just the moon in hope and help and resources galore. And still we're getting these very vile responses back. And so we started this website and one of the, the main things we're doing on this website is simply posting our videos and just showing our conversations with the woman as they step up on a video on the GoPros that we're wearing and they talk to us and the things that they say and all the women just dancing. I have, I have a whole string of videos up on the site of just woman dancing to another one bites the dust, which is a song. It's, it's so incredibly vile. So we read the scriptures that say in Ephesians 5:11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So we're not a gossip site, you know, it's not like we enjoy posting all of this stuff, but we need Christians, we need people to see directly firsthand from these women's lips that it's a sin issue and that it's a sin issue that needs to be restrained uh, by law. 
as we reach out to these women. So we've had this site, notavictim.org. People have been seeing, and we've had a number of people write and uh, comment that they have had a complete mindset change on this particular issue and that they now see these women are not innocent victims in the typical everyday normal abortion. They are not victims, but that they are sinners in need of a savior. And, you know, I'm using it quite a bit as, as we lobby. I just met uh, this week with two different uh, legislators and we were able to talk about the site with uh, Representative Bell was the last one I met with for over an hour this week. Gave him our not a victim literature and just let him read some of the posts from the you know pre-abort support groups uh, so that he could read these things firsthand. And, you know, he said, I I see, I see what you're telling me. I see, number one, abortion is not abolished after the overturn of Roe. He said, I see that. And I also see how graphic it gets, he said. So I consider that some degree of success with the site. And we pray God, you know, just helps us to further get this message out there. Yeah, amen. And And I do want to encourage brothers and sisters, you who are listening to this podcast, we will have uh, Christine's website and other resources made available. And, and I really want to encourage you to not just access it, but to get to know the material. And this is a good website to pass on to your Christian friends, um, members of your church, pastors, elders, but also magistrates. Because you got to remember, the pro-life movement has convinced most magistrates, including Christian magistrates, uh, that women are a victim. And this is really not a crime. It's not murder. uh, That is contrary to the teaching of God's word. And it is so important that we sort of destroy the myth of the, the victimhood status that the pro pro-life movement has been bestowed upon women who are seeking abortion and i do believe if people see it and hear it you know they'll understand that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and clearly sin and murder and demonic literally demonic activity is just flowing out of the lips of these women as they are partaking of child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. And so I really want to encourage you, brethren, get to know this website, get to know the resources there, get to know the materials there, and then spread it. Spread it in pro-life groups, you know, spread it to your, your, your church affiliations, and to your local magistrates, you know, your your chief of police, you know, the sheriff's department, you know, uh, your congressman, your senator, uh, you know, your lieutenant governor, your governor. It is so important that they see and know the truth because we got to remember truth is the only liberating force that God has provided from heaven for men jesus said if you know the truth it will set you free and the truth is abortion it is a sin it violates the sixth commandment thou shall not murder 
but it's also a crime that must be penalized by law if God's demand for justice will be finally met and so he can cleanse our land from blood guiltiness. Well, Miss Christine, I thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule. I know you got a lot going on right now. You're a homeschool mom. You're you're working hard in the ministry. You're uh, you're planning on moving. Uh, you have a lot of, a lot of challenges up ahead. But I'm so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule. And I pray the folks. Uh, uh, offer a little prayer for you as you go through some of these changes. But thank you so much for your diligent efforts in loving the Lord and, and loving our neighbor uh, as ourselves. So God bless you, Miss Christine. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Well, that's it, brothers and sisters. Uh, Till next time, you keep pressing on to that high calling prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, folks. Bye-bye.